Oh. My. God. Wow, do we have a lot to talk about today. Trying to muster up the emotions and thoughts to go over the season finale of season two of The Mandalorian, entitled The Rescue. I'm going to try my best to compose myself and express my thoughts. Whew. Oh, here we go. You are now getting a taste of sweet Star Wars delight. Hey, everyone. Uh, I'm sure you're probably as floored as I am. Um, ooh, so many emotions <laughs> this past, well, since yesterday uh, morning. Um, I would have done this yesterday, but I was, oh, I had to <laughs> compose myself a little, and it was a, wow, what a day. I watched it uh, three times yesterday. <laughs> I'm about to one more time here to break it down. Uh, I'm, my thoughts and stuff for y'all. Um, and even on the third watch, I got, oh, very emotional. Watch it with my dad the third time. I told him, I was like, whatever you do, do not go on the, uh, on Facebook, on YouTube, pretty much anywhere online almost till we can watch it. Cause it, it will probably get spoiled and you do not want these things spoiled. Um, whew, um, yeah, this is unbelievable. Phenomenal. Um, you know, last week we left off um, with them getting help from Mayfeld and Mayfeld taking care of some personal business of his and uh, as far as his dealings in the past with the Empire and what that uh, trauma uh, had done to him. And uh, during that time, you know, um, Din Djarin had to take off his helmet in order to get this info from the uh, Imperial uh, Terminal, in order to get the info on Moff Gideon. And then and then we see uh, Mando sending that info to him, or sending a hologram to Moff Gideon, saying pretty much I'm reciting his own words against him. I'm coming for you, and uh, the child means more than you'll ever know, and he'll soon be back with me. And so then we start uh, the season finale here. Oh, ouch. Excuse me. The maneuver here. And we start the season finale, and it starts right away. <laughs> uh, it starts with a, a space, uh, a chase, spaceship chase, um, where uh, the Slave One is chasing the ship that is actually uh, being piloted by two uh, Imperial officers with Dr. Pershing in the back. And Boba is... Uh, masterfully uh, driving the Slave One in pursuit of them. And I just love to see the Slave One in action, how much we've got of the Slave One here uh, the past two episodes, and in this episode also. I think he fires an ion cannon. <coughs> At them.
and uh, it, it pretty much takes down their um, the comms are down. All the variety of these things are are down. The shields are down, and he tells them to disa uh, disable transponders because he's about to board. <laughs> and cool, we hadn't got to see Doctor Pershing in a minute, other than that hologram, and then that shot of the the slave one just coming up from the from the front. Just um, <laughs> it's pretty wild. Um, and also Peyton, big shout out to Peyton Reed, who they found out not long before this was directing the season finale. Um, if you remember, he directed, uh, episode two from this season with the, uh, with frog lady and the spiders entitled the passenger, which some people thought that was their least favorite, but I mean, I, I really liked the episode. There was a lot of, um, great character stuff with, um, Grogu or well, at that time we didn't know he was Grogu baby Yoda and, uh, and Jaren, uh, I think so. Big shout out to him on this episode for doing a phenomenal job, also. And so, uh, Mando uh, comes up on the ship, and then pretty much, uh, one, one of the officers is pretty much holding almost being right at the back of um, and then he holds hostage, uh, Dr. Pershing, and then uh, Kara comes back in. He even says drop it, uh, dropper. And then you see the other officer saying pretty much like, okay, you know, I'm not with him. We can work something out. And then the other one shoots him right in the back after it goes to show you that, you know, there are even in the empire, there, are, there are some that are so devoted to the empire, like the one that shoots, um, his other officer here and is holding Dr. Pershing, uh, hostage. There are some that are so devoted to the empire that they'll do whatever to keep it um going and then there are some that are willing to change and are that will cave under pressure pretty much um and we see those two kind of uh those the differences in these two officers right here in this scene as then the one that was willing to cave and change work something out is obviously shot from the one so devoted to the empire that he can see nothing else then he goes on to say, you know, this is a top tier target of the new Republic being a clone engineer, which we knew by his patch, um, from seeing his Camino Camino and patch on Dr. Pershing beforehand. <clears throat> and then he goes on to say, you're going to wish you never left Alderaan. He's like, he even mentions he saw the tear. He's like, he just goes on to totter and just saying, you know, you saw, I saw your planet destroyed and you see Kara just starting to almost get emotional and she's getting real mad. Um, and he was on, he says he was on the Death Star. She's, she goes mocking and say, which one? Um, and then he also goes to say, you know, you know how many millions were killed on those bases trying to he almost prove their point of view on from their side, you know, I mean, yeah, a lot of lives were lost, but it's, you know, not everybody is necessarily all in it as much as others, as far as the empire as strict and as devoted on those beliefs, you know, there, there were more innocent lives lost in a way, um, compared to some, which we've seen that in the last episode, we've seen the, you know, the remnants of the empire at that, um, 
that mining facility, you know, them, um, shown in a different way as far as them cheering and saluting and, um, them saving the day, shooting those pirates, uh, down. So Mando and Mayfeld can make it to the, uh, to the mining facility, but disguised as stormtroopers. So we've already seen a different side to kind of what, what is left of the empire, uh, last episode. And he tries to go to prove his point in this case too. And then they're just, he's just going on and on as he has Pershing at gunpoint here. And then he even goes on. He's like, destroying your planet was a small price to pay to rid the galaxy of terrorism, which, you know, goes to think what extreme view that, that they have. And then Kara just, um, shoots him in the face. And then Pershing is over in there in the background. I love, he's just like, Oh, cause you know, shot right by his ear, you know, that's going to be ringing in his ear. We go to a cool, like cool shot with Mando just looking kind of surprised with the blue tints of the light on uh, reflecting off his helmet. And then we go to the chapter 16 title uh, screen and it's called the rescue. So appropriate, <laughs> not as ambiguous and up for debate kind of as the last episode, for instance, you know, the believer that could be taken in uh, numerous different ways. This is pretty much straight up. Okay. Yep. This is what they're doing or, or planning to do. And we see uh, the slave one arriving on a planet with a bunch of smokestacks and factory looking like kind of, uh, areas. And then we, for the first time as slave one, uh, lands, we see, uh, Mandalorian ship um, for the first time in uh, live action. So Bo-Katan and uh, I think her name's Cosca Reeves. Yeah. Are here on this planet. And I love it. As you see the um, Din Djarin and Boba Fett um, enter the, the bar for the first time <laughs> and the music kind of as them two are just, you wouldn't want to mess with them too. Like if you see them coming in the bar, I'm kind of going to go out the back door. I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> no, thank you. Don't want none of that. <laughs> Excuse me. As I get a little beverage. <laughs> going to stay hydrated. Cause I'll probably get emotional again here in, here in a little bit. But yeah, as they enter, the bar, uh, you know, obviously they draw attention. Everybody's looking all over at them. Um, <laughs> get two guys like this and then <laughs> who do you know is in the corner, Bo-Katan and Cosca Reeves. About Sasha Banks and Katie Sackoff. <laughs> and he goes to uh state that I need your help now. You know, they... Uh, you know, when he previously helped them, she's like, uh, your bravery will not go unnoticed, uh, pretty much. So he's going to call on this favor, you know, now, now that he needs it, she goes to say, not all Mandalorians are bounty hunters. And I love the exchange, all the, the tension here in this scene between Boba Fett, um, Bo-Katan and Cosca Reeves. And then he goes to say, well, they took the child. And then he goes to say, Moff Gideon took it. And she goes to doubtingly say, you know, you'll, you'll never find him. 
because, you know, she'd probably been trying for the longest time. And then you hear Bubba say, you know, we don't need these. We don't need these two. And then they turn and they realize that voice, you know, she's like, and then Bo-Katan's, you are not a Mandalorian. And that's when we get the, the few exchanges between these two, uh, from between these three, really Bo-Katan, Oscar Reeves, and, uh, Boba Fett. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> you could tell something's about to go down. And then <laughs> there was numerous times I noticed in this episode, the, the language in this, the, the slang, you could definitely tell it's star Wars slang. I don't know what some of these mean, but I would like, I'm probably going to go look up and see what some of the, uh, the slang and terms mean because they used it numerous times in this episode. And then after Costco Reeves says something to Boba Fett, he says, well, if this isn't the, the Quatka calling the stiffly slimy, stiffling slimy. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> that was one of the terms, uh, num numerous times. And then she even goes to mention, you'll be talking through the windows of a back to tank. Obviously we've seen that before, you know, with Anakin will be invader and, uh, Luke with, uh, him in the back to tank and the diaper, <laughs> a lot of references in this episode. And then Bo-Katan always, you know, save this type of aggression and save that towards the imps for the imps. And then, Bo uh, Mando goes to say, you know, we, we have the coordinates from Moff Gideon and she's like, it could be helpful. Or he goes on to say, it could be helpful to regain in your effort to be regaining Mandalore. And then Boba Fett's like, you gotta be kidding me. Mandalore, he knows what they did to the, um, to the planet. He goes to say the empire turned that planet to glass. And <laughs> Boba was like, you, this armor belonged to my father. <laughs> And, and then she just delivers the line. Don't you mean your donor? I'm like, Oh my gosh. Being that, you know, Boba Fett was an unaltered clone that he took upon himself as his, as his own. Um, so it's, it's a little different situation. He doesn't have the advanced, uh, accelerated aging like the, the, uh, the other clones in this case, it makes him very different. And then he even says careful princess. So he, I'm pretty sure he knows her history and then she knows his to an extent because then she goes she's like you're a clone she's like i recognize your voice uh i've heard your voice a thousand times <laughs> and then he goes on to say mine might be the last you the last one you hear and that's just puts it over the top Costa Reeves goes swinging at boba fett and they just have a, a cool sequence of a battle here in the bar <laughs> She even used probably uh, Sasha Banks uses some of her wrestling moves here as she kind of uh, parkours around off the uh, one of the uh, columns in the uh, uh, the bar and flips them over on the bench and then and then they both come to a standstill in the fight pretty much with their flamethrowers and then Boba Fett I mean not Boba Fett Bo Katan so you know even if if we had used half this spine to you know towards the Empire. We wouldn't have lost our planet. So they, they pretty much come to an agreement and then are at a standstill, not to where, you know, um, to where they can go forward and 
Bogotan says, you know, if we should manage to finish your quest, I would reconsider you joining our efforts to reclaim Mandalore. That is her top priority. Um, claiming that dark saber and reclaiming Mandalore. And then she even goes into say, Gideon has a weapon that once belonged to me. We know that being the dark saber, it's, it'll ancient weapon that'll cut through anything. And Costco Reeves, almost anything. Can't cut through pure Beskar, which luckily, you know, uh, Din Djarin is equipped with on his armor and his uh, st- uh, Beskar spear. She's, And then she goes on to state, I will kill them off and retake what is rightfully mine. We know what that is. With the dart store, with the dart saber restored to me, Mandalore will finally be within reach. And that is her top priority. And then Din goes on to say, you help me rescue the child and pretty much, you know, I'll do whatever you need. You know, he's my only priority. Goes to show, you know, Boba don't really care. Uh, he's like Mandalore. That's a lost cause. And then Bo- Boba Fett, I mean, not Boba Fett, then Bo-Katan is all focused on that that power and regaining Mandalore and getting that dart saber and becoming the ruler of Mandalore. And Dan's just like, I just want the child. Just, I don't care what we got to do just to get back the child. I mean, we've already seen him shed his ideals and beliefs in the last episode in order to, by taking off his helmet in order to uh, get into the system, the terminal of the Imperials in order to get that info. So then they're going, they're discussing what, you know, how to get the best way to uh, get into the ship. And they're also getting this, some of this info from Dr. Pershing. And he goes on to state about the dart troopers, you know, they adopted the child. And they're, you know, they're third generation design. They're no longer suits. They're, they're humans. And even a very unique term or quote he says the humans in size was the final the humans inside was the final weakness to be solved and their droids pretty much um that makes them more lethal in my opinion yes they don't they they don't have the faults as far as some humans so that's you know obviously we've seen with the separatists way back when but this this changed obviously when uh, anakin was ordered to take out what was uh left of them when he Became Darth Vader uh, in order for them to shut down all the uh, separatists, the droids. Um, but in this case, these are much more um, lethal than just your simple uh, battle droids and droids in general of the separatist back when. And then she also used, she said, where are these, you know, these droids bivouacked? <laughs> That's a different term, too. Um, and he goes on to say they're in the cargo bay, they're held in cold storage, and that'll take a few minutes for them to, as far as uh, the process to awaken them or for them to be initiated and uh, come alive. And then he goes on to say where the child is too. And they make a plan pretty much uh, all of them being Cara Dune, uh, Bo-Katan, uh, what is her now? Yeah, I just said it. Costco Reeves and Fennec Shan will like, uh, pretty much battle their way through the ship in order to get to the bridge. And Mando will come in a little after in order to, you know, not draw as much attention to him kind of in the shadows. And he's going to have to get to the dart troopers in order to, uh, disable 
um, from the door from allowing them out into the rest of the ship and then getting to the child um, in time also. So that's pretty much their plan as far as getting to the ship. And it was cool to seeing the um, then seeing the slave one in uh, hyperspace. Um, but also he, um, Boba Fett even goes on to mention it as jump space. And I like that. That's a pretty cool term. And then you see, you know, the difference between Bo-Katan. She's like, remember Moff Gideon is mine. I want him. I want to be able to kill him. And then Kara goes on to say, well, we need him alive. The ice, you know, has a lot of information we can, uh, get out of him pretty much the new Republic. And then as long as, she, you know, then she goes to say, I don't care what happens to him as long as he surrenders to me because she wants uh, the power and the authority uh, over as far as getting that dart saber back. Yeah, and then he says, prepare to enter jump space, to exit jump space. I like that that term pretty, I might start using that too. <clears throat> so pretty much they're going to be it's going to, they're going to be making uh slave one is going to be chasing this ship. They hijacked that Dr. Pershing was on, uh, to make their way back to, um, off Gideon's ship and make it seem like, uh, so they, they, so they can get access to the ship so they can, uh, so they can land, uh, inside the ship in order to, uh, infiltrate it. And they launch a few ties, um, along the way to try and, uh, get the slave one off the back of their Imperial ship. And it's really cool. This process when they see, when they show the, the tie fighters kind of, um, dislodging from the, uh, from the ship, uh, how they're, how they're maneuvered and moved over into the right, uh, pretty much lane in order to get out of the ship. And that whole process to that, uh, that it shows them going through with the pilot of each one as it shows it lining up with the, in order to uh, eject from the ship. That's pretty cool. It was called a pretty cool process to see that the way they did. And so Boba Fett's making it look pretty, pretty good. Is that if he's actually, actually trying, you know, to shoot down the ship and they're putting on a good show. And then a few ties uh, come in there almost uh, um, clash with one of them. And then they're pretty much saying, no, we're, you know, we're being shot. We, we can't, can't afford to, uh, to not come in right now. We gotta, we're coming in hot. We gotta come in now is, <laughs> uh, they don't want them to gain suspicion. They want to get in there as quick as they can. And then, so they pretty much come to a crashing halt inside the ship. Uh, cause now Boba Fett kind of pulls away and, as soon as they get in there, um, you see Boba Fett take out both them TIE fighters like it's nothing. And then he, uh, he shoots, uh, or, and then he got, he jumps into jump space pretty much and, and gets out of there. <laughs> and so you tell how much, how easy that was for him pretty much, you know, all of a sudden he was missing that. And then all of a sudden he shoots these ships like it's nothing and then gets out of there, you know, was like, what's up with that? <laughs> Shows how lethal he is, pretty much. And then they begin their um, stormtroopers start to um, come upon the ship that just crashed there, and they're taking them out already. And like I said, first it's Cara Dune, Fennec Shan, Bo-Katan, and 
Casca Reeves. Amanda is kind of holding back um, in order to arrive a little later to sneak kind of past some of these, the the initial um, troopers in order to kind of um, be a little more sneaky about it. But then Moff Gideon starts to activate the dark troopers. So now the clock is ticking um, down in order to get because you don't want them activated. I mean, we've only seen a little bit of them from chapter six, uh, or I mean, episode six of, uh, this season when they took the child, all they did was fly down through space, uh, take the child and fly back up. But still, you know, like we've been waiting to, to see what all they, how deadly they can be, how forceful, what all they have in their arsenal, um, and how they actually stack up against like, whoever being whether it be Dinjarin or any of these other characters um was interesting to uh a thing to anticipate before this uh episode it's a cool moment when you see them crossing the bridge and then you see Bo-Katan and Casca Reeves um fly off and you're like and then they immediately as more uh come on the bridge they fly the jetpack around and shoot them all down <laughs> even see one the stormtroopers uh uh falling down through the um you see the space below and he falls down through the shield <laughs> into space. Goodbye. And it reminds me of kind of on of a new hope as far as how they're blasting their way through with all the stormtroopers and it's and it's you know, it's firmly established that the setting for this from what we see is, you know, all on a ship, uh, compared to on a planet. And it feels very uh kind of isolated in this way and centered uh, around a ship and not the vast setting of some planet, um, you know, comparing it to almost, you know, them getting uh, through the Death Star. It's very similar to that way in A New Hope, it seems like to me, as far as when they're making their way to, uh, through a ship or, you know, a more um, smaller space, you know, being a ship than in, in a vast planet. So Mando's then he's he's making his way and he's having to hide from these stormtroopers and um different ones through the hall and he's pretty much in stealth mode because they're drawing all the attention, uh being all the ladies or the lethal ladies. There we go. And then it goes to show the dark troopers continuing to activate and you get this wild um uh like dubstep like music, which some people didn't really like it. They pulled them out of it, but I didn't mind it. Because, I mean, let me tell you, Ludwig Gorenson has done phenomenal. I've been listening to the soundtrack of season one and then what they've released on Spotify of season two so far. Not all of it, but I think like half of it or so. Uh, and I just love it. Um, I mean, because him coming in here after John Williams being the main guy that did the movies and some and whatnot um, was big shoes to fill. And he not only he made it his own. And he's done season one and two of this, the Mandalorian. And this is starting kind of a new era to me anyway, being, being the first live action Star Wars show. I mean, now there's going to be a ton of them that they've announced. Um, but it wasn't easy to choose to fill. And, you know, some people might not like all of it, but he, he makes, he defines um, what the scene should be with different, so many different themes, whether it's, you know, Moff Gideon's theme, more of the Mandalorian himself. 
um, like for example, this dark trooper, these dark troopers as they're awakening, like so many times he expresses a theme so well for a character or a situation and he'll weave familiar themes in there along with these new themes and whatnot. And he, him weaving different themes and feelings from the music within each other and like meshing them as he goes. And it's, yeah, he's truly done a fantastic job. I think, um, so some people was thrown out, thrown off by the dubstep, but I didn't mind it. It gives a very techie feel to these, uh, dark troopers, which I mean, they're these monstrous machines. Um, as we see a little, a little better than some of the, um, some of the droids in the past. <laughs> and then you see uh, them taking out these stormtroopers just continuing like in these killer ways. But it also shows, you know, the, the stormtroopers, how, you know, just not point. Well, not maybe not pointless, but they're just like, and then they almost said, there they are. You know, why do you say that and give away your position? Like just shoot them or try to, uh, if you're on the stormtroopers, uh, from the point of a stormtrooper, you know, don't announce you're coming. I mean, Mando did and he's coming, but, um, use a little stealth stormtroopers because <laughs> they just get taken out left and right, left and right. And how many of those, you know, I'm sure if you're people, I don't know if necessarily volunteering, uh, you know, to be stormtroopers or whatnot, but I'm sure they've heard stories of how all these other ones have gotten taken out. You know, where are they getting all these numbers for all these stormtroopers? Cause we've seen so many get taken out. Uh, movie after movie and now the Mandalorian and different things. So it's, I'm sure they've heard stories about, oh yeah, you don't want to be a stormtrooper. You, you, <laughs> it took out another, another hundred here or there. Um, so it's not a good gig necessarily. At least maybe some of the other troopers at least get better armor or better training or whatnot. I don't know, but stormtroopers, yeah, they, we, we know their fate pretty much <laughs> get blasted or cut up by someone. Um, but then Mando continues to make his way, um, towards the dark troopers and the child. So Mando is making his way further and further to get, to shut down the dark troopers and get the child. And then you see all the, the elites of ladies, um, making their way through as they're blasting away. Kara's, uh, gun gets jammed and then she just <laughs> just manhandles them um and just, just th knocking them out with the gun itself the big old like big old gun that she's got she's just walloping on them and then uh then the the dark troopers are continuing they're almost uh they're already walking towards uh the door they're operational now as the door is about to open you see Din Djarin getting to the door as it opens and he's Recognize that. No, no, no. He's almost, you know, he's just there in time and he sticks the, the cylinder in to shut down the door. But then you see one open the door last second with his hands and pull it open. And then he knocks Dinjarin off his feet to the wall. And this thing ain't nothing to mess with. He's shooting it. It's fall. It's blasting right off. Like it's nothing almost grabs Dendron's arm, God, and just, and holds him up, choking him. And then he starts wailing on his, to his helmet. 
and it's a boom after hit after hit after hit. And as you see that, you see the, the other dark troopers almost, it's cracking the glass of the door trying to break through also. And then you see just him continue to strike blows to Dinjar and Dinjar and then, uh, gets his flamethrower and it's, you can just, it's just flaming all around his parts, not even doing it. Uh, the dark troopers parts, not even doing any damage. And he's just, uh, he just has like this look like, really, is that all you got? And as he's flaming, as you see his red eyes, like they all have, and then throws him aside. And then Jaren's having a time. He tries to hit a button on, uh, right near the code cylinder, uh, uh, near the door of the dark troopers as they're almost making their way. But then he gets drugged by, dark trooper and just push down again and push aside and then he actually pulls out his gun now uh the dark trooper and then the whistling birds he shoots and he's kind of slowing him down but he's still coming at him and then he finally gets enough of an angle in order to pull out the beskar spear and it goes right through his neck and he dehead uh beheads him pretty much it's pretty much his head falling off the mando makes his way over to finally the code cylinder and then he Opens up the airlock and they go flying out the and flying out of the ship. And I was like, like dang, yeah, because if you're, you know, you're having that trouble, much trouble with one of them, I'm like, all those, how are you going to do that? But then that kind of gets rid of them. I was like, well, dang, I thought we'd see a little more of them, but one of them, gosh, was that bad. And then you see shoots to the lethal ladies. Um, and then you still, Kara's struggling with her gun and, you know, all your, We've heard numerous times in this, you know, season, last season, you know, the, what their versions of expletives are kind of like there. And Dank Farrick has become a big one and calling somebody a womp rat, you know, that's kind of similar or different things. And this, like I said, with the language, with this episode, we hear numerous terms, a few I've already mentioned that are, um, and quotes and sayings that are purely, authentic with star wars and their meaning um i'm gonna do a little digging on some of them too because we've heard you know the reference to a nerf herder um dank ferrick uh the references towards a womp rat and the other one that boba fett mentioned earlier about i can't even remember what it said now i i said it but that one and then she goes on to and she's just struggling with her gun in the hallways like uh, is this a personal problem? Man, are you okay? Like she's like, oh, come on, <laughs> you can't be, you can't be doing this to me now, gun. She's like, dang, Farrick. And then she's like, son of a mud scuffer. And that's an uh, that's a new one too, I think. And then she finally gets it. She slams it on the ground. Hokatan's like, sure, you don't need any help. Slams it on the ground. You can kind of hear it power up, and she's it's like, oh, I think it it'll work now. Then guns are blazing. Her out front, just taking them out now. With that big old. Big old gun. They continue to just take out these stormtroopers, and they're at the bridge now, just taking them all out. What a what a team! And I'm telling you, they, I think they handled them, the lethal ladies. I'll call them um, again, uh, pretty well. And they kind of was on their own here, even though Bubba ain't really having much action. He just got in there, dropped them off, took out those ships, and then um, took off. But here, there's a reason why I think they probably did that. I'll explain here later, or at least it helped because he was kind of like that in the last episode. He dropped, he picked him up and then, well, he dropped that seismic charge and oh God, so good. But yeah, these, the lethal ladies are just taking them all out. Uh, 
making way. And they disarm the weapon system. And then Bo-Katan goes to say, where's Gideon? You know, expecting to see him there, uh, but he's not there. And then shoots back to Din Djarin, taking out these stormtroopers with a spear. And this one shot where he's choking out the stormtrooper, and they shoot to the, the pan to the shot where he, his legs, the stormtrooper's legs, just like uh, jiggling as he's choking. I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, shows you he's just lethal. Like he's wanting to get this kid back. Like he's he's being pushed to certain levels, like kind of like he was uh, as far as his life in order to get this child back. That is his top priority. He don't. He's just going through anybody, whatever it takes. Um. And then he opens the door, and then what do you see? Moff Gideon with the Darksaber activated and then held to Grogu with his little um, handcuffs on. Grogu still kind of seems out of it. He seems, he's kind of like, no telling how much experimenting they done to him or they how much blood they took out of him, so he might still be kind of out of it. Moff Gideon tells him to drop the blaster you slowly and kick it over to you, you know. And we finally get to see more Moff Gideon. Gene Carlo Esposito, he's a phenomenal actor and a super cool dude. I've seen in interviews and I loved him from Breaking Bad and different things. But he can play a villain so well. But to be such a nice guy, it seems like, you know, he can play a villain so well. And uh, even though we've only seen so much of Moff Gideon, he's just, he's the top tier actor, Gene Carlo Esposito. And then, yeah, can't just over the moon about him and then Mando wants the kid and then he goes on to say no he's fine over here and then he goes on to kind of tell a little speech about the dark saber itself and he's like yeah I know you I know you've been traveling with Bo-Katan um and then he goes on to state just how much that he knows kind of he's like just assume I know everything, like the fact that your wrist launcher or the whistling birds has fired its one and only salvo. Oh, okay. So he, and that's one, so that's one of the things too I've noticed throughout the season, like when he fires and whistling birds, trying to count how many he has, or as I know in the first season, I know he went back and replenished them when they went back to Navarro, I think. Yeah. And then I know he probably replenished them once. When at Navarro, when Kara was getting the, uh, getting some of his stuff that was, that she shall salvaged back after that, that, uh, covert, uh, area was taken over. So then that was, she, he probably replenished some then, but I'll be, yeah, I've been interested about when trying to keep up with those whistling birds and how many he's had and when he refills them and all that. So that's, it's brings back an interesting point. And then Mando just wants to get on with it. He's like, where's this going? And he goes on to stay about, you know, Bo-Katan and the boarding party will think I'm, you know, they'll be arriving at the bridge thinking I'm there when I'm actually, you know, not there. I'm here. And <clears throat> and then he goes on to even say, you know, pretty much he, imagine they've killed everyone on board and he considers them murder savages, you know, that they are, you know, from his point of view, that sounds, uh, weird, but you know, like we said, when we go to humanize the empire like they did in the last episode, it, trying to show you that I mean, even though they are wrong, um, trying to here and there show little different points of view from it. Even though Mando's not even, he just wants to get the child back. He's even though he's changed his ways a lot, 
but um he's so desperate after um them getting Grogu. And just to see the child like in the state that he is right now being held uh hostage right there in front of him uh, by Gideon is very unsettling to him. And then Gideon goes on to say, you know why um, Bo-Katan wants this, and it brings power. Whoever wields this sword uh, has the right to lay claim to the Mandalore throne. And it's good that he kind of goes on it and explains some of this, because some of the people that haven't watched uh, Clone Wars or Rebels might not know all the info, even though we've got little info on tidbits of it before, but it's kind of good as far as for some of those, the normies and people that haven't watched as much of the animated stuff. So they don't know necessarily all of the history to this extent, uh, that some of us do. Uh, so it's kind of good that he kind of went over this just, to um, explain a little further for certain people. And then Mando just goes on to say, you know, he wants, just wants the kid and Gideon turns off the, uh, dart saber and he says, I've already got, well, I've already got what I want from him. Pretty much his blood. And he said, all he wanted to do was study his blood. Um, he goes on to say he's extremely gifted, this child. He's been blessed with rare properties. And even in this line, that 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 the potential has the potential to bring order back to the galaxy. And we, you know, obviously leading Empire merges eventually into the First Order and really think this is part of bringing back somehow how they started bringing back Palpatine or... Therefore, you know, Snoke. Um, so we will see where that goes as far as that is concerned. Um, but yeah, we still don't quite know all the details as far as that um, goes. But Gideon's just uh, interested in carrying that on. And uh, see, at one point they wanted to drain him dry of all his blood, but now he's saying, you know, well, we've got what uh, we wanted. We just wanted to test his blood, you know. Uh, for those rare properties being in how high of an M county has. So then, you know, they're not wanting to drain them no more as far as all his blood, you know, considering what Moff Gideon just said now and said, then he goes on to change his, his tone and his look. He's like, I see your bond with him. And he goes on to say, take him. But then he said, but you'll leave the ship immediately and we'll go our separate ways. Nothing, you know, we'll part from each other right after this, you know, and then I was wondering about this and Mando turns his back and Moff Gideon's kind of off to the side. And then you see the dark saber lit and then he starts wailing on uh, Mando and Mando's just blocking him. Luckily the best car can take some hits from lightsabers we've seen or the dark saber in this case. And he's just, Oh, going at it with him. Mando. Cause he, he fit, probably figures, you know, the only way I can have a chance, maybe if, as I ca- if I catch uh, Mando off guard, um, cause he knows, he probably knows Mando is a better fighter than him. I mean, he's a Mandalorian. He's, he's had so much experience with this and whether it's his fighting itself or his armor or his, uh, the arsenal of weapons and different things he has at his disposal. So he takes the, the sinister sly way to it and tries to, uh, do a low blow and tries to catch him off guard. Cause he figured that might be the only way he has a decent chance. And he's just wailing on him and, um, uh, Mando can't even, you know, 
get a chance to get his spear, but then eventually he does pull it out once they get in the hallway. And we know it's on. And all the choreography for this fight is so great. Um, You know, it's not necessarily always, you know, they're jumping around doing that because neither one of them had the force. This is a rare opportunity we've seen. And it's not a Jedi and a Sith or two force users uh, for that um, for that fight. So they have to rely more on, I think the choreography matters almost even more if you're not in this case because the force isn't being used at all. They're not, so they're not necessarily jumping and using their agility at extreme rates compared to normal, compared to what some might uh, use as far as, and the force itself as far as predicting moves and whatnot. So they're, the choreography had to, I think, be even, had to be focused on even more for this case, the fact that they're not two force users and they're just dart saber versus Beskar spear, Mandalorian versus Imperial uh, moth. Uh, so the, the, yeah, the fact that they, they had to, I think, approach it a little differently, but the choreography was fantastic for this, for what it, for between these two uh, rivals, uh, being Moff Gideon and Mando. And I love the detail on this fight, even when you see, you know, the Beskar spear can handle the dart saber or lightsabers, but yet you see the dart saber kind of grinding and clashing up against it. And when it's held up against it, you see the heat building up on the Beskar spear. And I'm wondering, you know, yeah, it can take it, but I'm sure I have a feeling if it was held on it long enough, it would probably uh, slice through it, but it probably can take it with for to an extent for a certain period of time. So he has to kind of eventually uh, not let it uh, kind of grind against it for too long. Because I love that little detail. You can see that heating up as the dart saber is grinding against it. Uh, really cool detail there. And then a really cool shot where they um, the dart saber is um, going in the side of the ship and it's creating the sparks and the fire as Moff Gideon's moving towards him and Mando's kind of blocking it as he's backing up. I love that really cool shot and they get a few different angles from that. Really cool um, choreography and... Um, <clears throat> um, what is the word? I lost my thought <laughs> choreography and cinematography as far as the imagery and everything we have through that little shot and then one of the coolest parts uh, Mando has the uh, Beskar spear on the ground then he kicks it up from, the, from behind him he kicks backwards flips the Beskar spear around towards the top and then comes around then sw- then uh does like a 360 spin. Then he's just, man, that was so cool. Then he wraps up Moff Gideon with the pretty much the zip tie. And then Moff cuts it through. And they're just, man, going ham, going at it. And it's, oh, man, such good choreography. And then eventually Mando kind of gets he gets the spear pointed at him, gets the upper hand, and eventually gets uh, the dart saber away from Moff Gideon's hands and pretty much gets him down on the ground with the spear at his neck and Moff is kind of surprised. He's like, Oh, you're sparing my life. This should be interesting. <laughs> but yeah, he bested him <laughs> even though he had the upper hand as far as getting him as far as catching him off guard, as far as trying to surprise him. So then they make their way to the bridge where Din Djarin is, uh, hauling uh, Moff Gideon with cuffs on him as the dart saber is, li- is drawn and lit. And Amando has Grogu in his hands. Um, and you can tell in that instance, uh, Bo-Katan is, uh, 
looking very concerned. Like, she's like, what happened? And Kara goes to show, you know, he brought him in alive. That's what happened. Um, and then Moff Gideon goes on to say that's not what she's talking about. And he knows. Um, he knew, like I said, certain things. Some of them didn't really know as far as about the Darksaber and the situation that they're now in. And then he even goes to start to taunt and say, you know, why don't you just kill him now and take it? He says to Bo-Katan, talking about the Darksaber. And then Mando is just like, you know, but he still has it. And he says, it's yours now, the, uh, the Darksaber. And so what is the Darksaber? It belongs to you. Pretty much because you want it in combat. So you now uh, you now hold the, the claim to the Mandalore uh, throne. And then he even tries to give it to her. He says, now it belongs to her. Uh, the Mand- uh, Mando goes to say, he tries to give it to her. And then Moff get, goes on and says, she can't take it. It must be won in battle, like in combat, like he just did, in order for her to wield the Darksaber again. So that was something yeah, he didn't really say. And I'm not saying he planned that to go, you know, in order to fight... Um, him so that way even if he lost um it would start to pin them against each other i don't know that would be pretty smart i don't know if he went to that extent planning it but he did know some of this uh backstory and history about this dart saber i mean with him having it so long and him um knowing what power it commands a little little loophole here (laughs) And then he even goes on to say, I yield, it's yours. And he and then Moff Gideon is like, oh, no, <laughs> that's not how it works. <laughs> doesn't work that way. And he goes on to say a really cool line. He's like, the Darksaber doesn't have power. The story does. And all the history backed up in that, um, in that ancient weapon uh, that's uh, been through, gone through Mandalorian history for, long long time and um she knows as he's talking you can just see the range of emotions that's kind of happening with uh bokantan and you she wants that power and then but she knows what he's saying is true and then he goes on to say you know without that uh, blade she's a pretender to the throne and moff gideon is i'm sure just loving this he's trying to turn them against each other i mean because he's in this tight spot and he's just doing all he can to mop i'm mock confuse um just yeah doing all he can to try and do what he can under the circumstances that he's in now i mean being vested in combat but he's trying to use that situation to his advantage um and bo goes to agree with him you know he's right she she won't take it um and then we hear beeps uh and then and then what do you know? The dart saber. I mean, the dart saber, <laughs> dart saber, dart trooper. Um, the dart troopers are back because if you remember, they've flown down from the ship to get Grogu and they've flown back so they can fly. Um, they fly now. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you remember that little detail, yeah. So now they're back and they're all coming back. And I'm sure if the robots could get mad, they're probably mad in this case. Think you fly us out the, out the window? No, I don't think so. 
And then uh, Gideon goes on to even clarify, you know, you're going to have your hands, you had your hands full with one of them. You think you can take on a whole platoon of dark troopers? I think not. Oh. So he's just bringing to light what difficult circumstances is about to head their way. Um, yeah, because there is a lot of them. Um, and they coming at them, weapons armed. And, you know, Mando probably has the best armor out of all of them. I mean, yeah, Bogotan and Costa Reeves, the other Mandalorian, uh, do too. But as far as like Kara and um, Finnick, their armor, I mean, they don't have, they're nowhere near as protected as Beskar with the Mandalorians. And they're kind of freaking out. They don't know what to do. And then you kind of see a little sly move. He, they push down Gideon and he falls kind of near a gun that was dropped by um, uh, an officer that must have died when they were shooting him up earlier on the episode. And they're looking through the uh, the screens and seeing just how many there are. And they're coming at so many different angles and uh, with great numbers um, compared to them. You know, because they out, they out, um, their numbers outweigh them and their, their firepower as far as their firepower and their power itself and their, their armor, it all just overpowers them. So now they're in a very difficult situation. But uh, Mando assures, you know, the kid, he's like, I'm going to get you out of here. Um, sits him down. And he still looks kind of out of it. And you can tell that they've probably experimented or drained a a good bit of his blood and just, um, He's kind of just wore out, probably. And then the dark troopers just continue to just get closer and closer. Very just sinister with the red eyes. And, um, you know, and two, I think John Favreau being on Iron Man 2, they're just like kind of like dark versions of Iron Man, but just souped up a little differently. But so it, it, um, it suited it very well, I think. Um, uh, being these, uh, phase three dark troopers where they're just more droids and uh, they had already canceled out the the fact that they tried to put a human inside felt that was the weakness before but now they felt they fixed that so then they they go to shut the door but then the dark troopers see that and then they head toward that door that just uh shut kind of gave it away in a way for them but they're here they're armed and then they they're like loading up. Um, they're getting armed as far as Bo-Katan, the whole group inside the bridge. Uh, they're they're ready to go. That backs up against the wall, only stuck in this one room. And then they start to hear the pounding on the doors uh, from the dark troopers outside, and they're just pounding. And it it keeps uh, shooting uh, from shots of them pounding on the door, trying to bust open, and then some the reaction of the uh, other characters on the other side of the wall. And then they keep alternating that shot for a little while. And you see it almost shaking, you know, shaking some of the things in the ship. And uh, Gideon is just starting to smirk. And he knows uh, he knows what's coming. And uh, he, he knows if they get through, he'll be all right. And he even goes to say, you know, even you have an impressive fire team uh, protecting you. But, you know, once they get in here, they'll take out all of you and, the only ones that'll be safe is me and the child. And he begins to know, uh, because they're programmed, they're not going to harm uh, him or uh, the child in this case. 
and he's just starting to sulk in it. And he's, uh, starting to trying to freak them out even more and they're just pounding and then it shows them and they're pounding even more and they're just slowly starting to crack open the door. And yeah, I couldn't imagine being in this situation. It'd be tough. Um, and Gideon starts to almost halfway giggle. He's like, um, considering that he lost that, but he could still get out of here alive and have all of them eliminated. I'm sure it would be his such a, um, a win for him and to get the child, you know, but then we hear a beep and we see a ship. And then we see a ship, not just any ship though, an X-Wing. And then Kara goes on to make a comment. Oh, X-Wing. Oh, that's, that'll be a lot of help. <laughs> and when I first watched, uh, these next moments, I'm, uh, you see the X-Wing, wing, uh, enter the ship from the, uh, the screens of the, the, uh, the cameras, the security cameras. Um, and they're watching this and they continue to watch it as this whole scene progresses. And then you see Grogu perk up and look kind of like interested and curious and okay. One sign. It's an X-Wing, and then you see Grogu perk up. Um, X-Wing, we know. Hence toward Luke Skywalker. <laughs> and then Grogu perking up, hence towards a Force user. Hint too. And then the, the actually the Dark Troopers stop banging on the door all of a sudden and just continue to arm themselves and stand there with the gun. And Moff Gideon then looks concerned because the banging has stopped. And they continue to wonder, you know, why did they stop? What's going on? And then they're looking on the cameras and then the, the dark troopers are armed and they kind of change position, uh, and their stance and the tension is just building and the music, uh, is building from here to very mysterious sounding music. And then we see a cloaked figure on one of the cameras. And Bo-Katan is watching. And then we see lightsaber deflecting shots in one of the cameras and taking them out. We can't tell what color. So it's it's a Jedi. Bo-Katan continues to confirm it. Then Din looks over, uh, interested. And then Moff Gideon just looks frantic after this, hearing this. And then we see it come into frame, the green lightsaber as he's taking out these dark sabers on this bridge and just lethal using the force and taking them out. And it it's alternating now from shots, uh, in person with the Jedi and on the camera. And then Grogu sees it too. And he's feeling something. And this Jedi is just taking them out. And then the green lightsaber hints at Luke too. And then we see, a glove on the right hand, which hints at Luke too. <laughs> and the hooded figure continues to make his way and just uses the force and pushes this uh, heavy container and and traps this dark trooper against the wall with the force. And then he takes the head off this other one. And then the dark trooper that's... Uh, um, 
pushed against the wall, trapped, slices him as he walks by. And the music in this whole scene, I tell you, it is wonderful. Uh, it is mysterious, yet parts of it is hopeful. And then there's there's moments of suspense. And the way they Ludwig combines all this into a with the mystery of it and the suspense and the hope that you can hear in this music, the the weaving of all this together is masterful during the scene. But then we see go back to the bridge and Gideon is like freaking out. Then so he picks up that gun and tries to shoot Bocatan and tries to kill her. And then he turns towards the child and then he tr- almost tries to shoot the child. And then Den jumps in front of the child and deflects the shots. So he's saved. And then they, they go on to say they got him surrounded. They say, drop it. And then he's looking around. Not sure what to do. Points it towards his own chin about to about to take himself out. But then Kara just uh, knocks the gun out of his hand and knocks him back. <laughs> Pulling a move like his one of his officers did on that ship in uh, episode three that ate that uh ate that ele- um killed himself with the uh I don't know what you, I'm not sure what you call it the uh electric device in his teeth within his mouth that killed himself he almost pulled one of those you know like for the empire and then it goes back to the jedi wielding the green lightsaber and gloved right hand as he's taking him out and i'm wondering there in this whole time the first time is this luke the only other one i'm thinking it could be ezra but the glove on the right hand unless you know we hadn't seen ezra but unless he got his hand chopped off too, the same hand as luke since we've seen him but then all these things slowly start to point towards Luke. And it's a similar outfit. You see the belt buckle in the front along with the cloak. Um, but we're still not for sure. They're teasing. And then he, uh, the Jedi, gets on the elevator. Um, and you see it uh, start to um, go up to the higher level. And then you see the dark troopers turn around. And it's very similar to, very similar shots as, as compared to episode three. When um, Bo-Katan and her two other Mandalorians, Cosca uh, Reeves and I can't remember the other guy, and Mando were were going through and taking over that ship. Um, they were going up the elevator, and stormtroopers and a few officers were there waiting for them to arrive. Very almost like they were the monster, like in the situation. And you've seen the uh, elevator, uh, the elevator um, symbol getting uh like it's loading pretty much like they're they're coming up um to that floor and we see it done in the, in the same way here as he as the elevators getting higher and higher as like they did in uh, episode three as they reach this level it's getting higher and higher and the dark troopers are waiting on the outside of that and it's very similar uh symbolism and shots uh here when this jedi arrives and then he just comes out of there and he's taking these guys out. And this shot, these shots are iconic. And it's very similar to the Vader hallway scene in Rogue One. And he's taking them out with such finesse and almost ease with the force and with these uh, the combat of, the, of his lightsaber. And he's, he even pull, uh, pushes and pulls um one of the heads off the ground or the robot knocks out the other one disables the other one. Then it gets halfway down through um, 
one dark saber and then pulls out and just it falls apart. And then the last dark saber or the last um dark trooper, he he start he kind of freezes him and he's blasting and then he starts it starts to shake and he's just cru and he crushes that dark trooper, holds him up, freezes him, and then crushes him. I almost lost it. <laughs> during this whole scene, this whole scene, but that one, I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe this. And then Grogu turns to Din as, as the Jedi's uh, waiting outside the door. And Grogu's pretty much like saying, you know, wines like let him in. Like he's, he's right there. And that, um, uh, that provokes Din to say, you know, open the doors, you know, he trusts the child enough to, and he knows, uh, what the child is sensing. And he's dealt with one other Jedi before. And the other ones go on to say, you know, are you crazy? You know, you're letting that Jedi that just took out all them, um, this uh, lightsaber wielding, like a uh, hooded figure in here. And so they then begin to open the doors. And this shot where he, the Jedi comes in out of the fog, to me, it reminded me a lot of a Phantom Menace, the Phantom Menace. When, except not two of them, but you see them coming through the door and a Phantom Menace. And it was Obi Wan Kenobi and Qui Gon Jinn, and they just you see the lightsaber and then the figure slowly come out of the fog from the one room and into the other one. Now in this case, it's only one person, but that very much reminded me with the fog and the lightsaber and kind of coming out of the fog uh, with the lightsaber lid. That reminded me a lot of that scene from Phantom Menace when um uh, Obi Wan and Qui Gon come out of that um room with the uh the poisonous gas after they make their way out of there um so that 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 was a to me i definitely thought of that uh there's numerous little symbolisms and callbacks in this like to me a, a good many and then you see uh the hooded jedi uh figure come out in order to uh to come into the bridge and he uh turns off his lightsaber Puts it on his uh on his belt, and then he decloaks. And what do you know? It is Luke Luke Skywalker. I can't even talk, and I've seen this before. And yeah, there was numerous little hints that they gave you. Yeah, like I said before, that okay. First the X wing, and then Grogu perked up. Like okay, that makes you think it's some some connection through the Force. And then you see the hooded figure. Um, and then you see a lightsaber. <laughs> and then you see it in him in person with the green lightsaber. And then you see the glove. And that's when it really narrows it down. And then here you have the reveal when he removes his hood. And it's actually Luke. And I, I think it's like a D. Yeah, it was credited. Mark Hamill was credited. I don't know if they de-aged him or the CGI and all what they did. But it looked. Some people said it didn't look that good. But I, I mean. I. It, in this moment, I was so amazed and just awe-stricken that I didn't even care. Like, it looked good to me, I think. Um, and they handled it a good way in as far as him being hooded the rest of the time, so they didn't have to necessarily do that with the technology that whole time. Um, and it just made it oh so epic. And I was, as he made his way through there, and then he decloaks, uh, pulls off his hood, and then... Yeah, Mando goes on to say, "You are you a Jedi?" And he says, "I am." And then he extends his hand to Grogu, sitting in a nearby chair, and he says, "Come, little one, you know, 
And oh, this this first time it got me so emotional. Um, it still does, and I've watched it a few times. And then he looks up at Mando, and he just Mando goes on to say he doesn't want to go with you. And then he pretty much Luke says he wants your permission. He can sense what he's what he's feeling, uh, Grogu, in these moments. He goes on to say he's strong with the Force, but without talent, uh, but talent without training is. Uh, just won't cut it, you know. And he said, and he goes on to assure um, Dinjarin and said, "I will give my life to protect the child." And um, but he will not be safe until he masters his abilities. And you know that really, you know, Din has gone to such extreme lengths to protect um, the child. And then get him to where he needs to be. But he's grown so attached that he doesn't want to let go. Um, but he, you know, with the assurances that Luke kind of gives him, he's, you know, Luke assures him that he's, you know, until he can master his abilities, he'll he'll never be safe. And all the things that Den has had to do to keep him safe, he, and the assurance that Luke said he'll, he'll give his life to protect the child is, considering what he just witnessed from uh, Luke through the hallways with these, um, with these dark troopers um, and him showing such devotion in order to protect and train the child to train the child to protect himself and master his abilities within the force is almost enough to help um, Dan get to the point where he's okay enough with it. I mean, that was his quest to begin with, but you know, it's as it go, went on, it, you know, it's harder and harder for him to let go, especially after he had lost the child, only to now get the child back and have to let him go again, but in under different circumstances, under better circumstances that, I mean, this was where he was taking him all along, but it's, you know, it's a little different once you get there um, to, to this moment where he has to actually say goodbye. Um, and the moment of Luke, brought such emotion to me as far as, oh my gosh, are they actually doing this? And then all the little hints to do it, to lead that it was Luke, and for them to kind of give you little hints like, oh, yep, like one hint after another throughout that whole um, scene of him making his way to the bridge, taking out all these uh, dark troopers. And then to get to this point with, uh, with Din Djarin and... Grogu having this moment and then him actually having to depart, but he actually, but Luke assures him enough to, for that it is, uh, for Grogu's betterment, um, under these circumstances. Cause Din can't train him as far as he'd have to always, you know, he wouldn't be safe until he can defend himself or help, you know, wield the force appropriately, you know, with, with how much, um, power he has in him if it's uh properly trained you know and he's properly using it um to his full potential uh later he'll be a lot safer um after training with luke and you know he he goes on to say mando that's you know mando says that's who you belong with he's one of your kind and this whole moment, too, it made me emotional for Luke just because I was happy and I was like, are they going to do it? I thought they might. It makes sense for them to do it, but they're actually doing it, and then they did it. But then this moment 
that Dinjarin and Grogu has. I uh, I got so emotional on this too, but for a different reason because it's sad. I mean, no, yeah, no one's dying, but oh, just the journey that we've we've went on and the the connection that they the Mando, Dinjarin and Grogu have built over these two seasons is just um such a strong bond. Um, you know, if you think about it, Dinjarin was you know, left as a child and then found by Death Watch, became a children of the watch and grew up under these strict, uh, very different uh, upbringing. And he was very much on his own, you know, doing bounty hunter jobs. And then Grogu, on the other hand, you know, was once at the Jedi Temple, um, trained by numerous masters and then survived uh, Order 66 or was hidden in other words, and then, you know, they said his memory went dark, so we don't know exactly whose care he was in. It could have been a Palpatine. It could have been a dark side user. Um, you know, why was his memory dark? But then, you know, says later that he had to hide his abilities later, so he didn't use the Force. Uh, nothing like he used to could have, so he's almost, he's kind of lost some of that um, compared to what he had as far as his connection and uh, abilities he can he can um, have through the force. He's lost some of that. So therefore, Luke can kind of build that back up. But the their, the chances and the uh, the odds and how they met and the, the bond they had built since then has been um, such a key um, point for Din Djarin's growth compared to the life he was living and then his motivation from there on when he, after he found him and then he, you know, he did turn him back over to what, um, you know, the client and the remnants of the empire, but he, he changed his mind. He, he went back on that decision. And from there on, he's, his sole priority has been to, you know, protect the child and figure out these different, uh, next steps in order to, um, have a better life uh, for the child, which later we find out it's named Grogu. And along the way, he he finds himself drawing, getting so, you know, drawn so close to this little being. And the same back with Grogu, likewise, you know, for Din Djarin. And it's been such a beautiful bond they've built. And then right here, he's, it's all coming to a head and, I mean, yeah, they're departing, but, you know, Din honestly feels like this, in a way, will be for Grogu's betterment. I mean, he, he realizes he has extreme power, and he he can't further Grogu's power in the way that it needs to be. Um, he can't build that power up uh, any more than what he has so far, and he knows only another one of his kind, like the Jedi, you know, can um, do that, and Luke... No one can do that better than Luke at during this time, you know, um, period. So it's very bittersweet. I mean, because we, we get to see Luke, but yet then you think, because Luke heard his call, and at this time he would be more than willing to to help and aid in these efforts of um, surviving Jedi or Force users. But then this moment, yeah, that where they actually have to say goodbye, I don't know if I was totally prepared for this. I mean... Well, Luke arriving, I don't know if I was prepared for this either, but then he 
Grogu, um, Din Djarin is holding him, and then Grogu touches his face and his helmet, and then Din Djarin takes off his helmet for Grogu. Um, we've seen a foreshadowing this last episode, the extent he done went for Grogu, um, taking off his helmet in order to guard in that terminal to find the info to find Moff Gideon. And then as they're just, he's helmetless and Grogu's just looking upon him for the first time on his bare face. Um, and this moment is truly beautiful. And then he extends his hand and touches Din Djarin's face. And I, I'm getting emotional watching this again. And I'm, I've watched this four times now. This is the fourth time. And that still gets me uh, emotional. And he goes to assure him, "Mom, it's all right, pal. It's like it's time to go." But, <sighs> oh, and then you can hear a little whine out of Grogu, and you see even his ears kind of perk down, and he reassures him, "Don't be afraid." Uh, but yeah, oh, this this scene still gets to me. I mean, like there's so many different moments you could tear up, but it's not necessarily you know nobody died, so it's not like horrible but it's oh it's so bittersweet and it's just then he sits him down you know he don't hand him to luke he sits him down and allowing him to make his way over to luke but grogu's still hugging on um dinjarin's leg and then all of a sudden you see r2d2 come into the picture right beside luke and he's beeping and then all of a sudden uh grogu turns he's like oh what's this (laughs) And then he slowly starts to walk towards Luke and uh, R2. And I love the fact that, you know, that's R2, D2 coming coming in here is what <laughs> perked um, Grogu's interest enough to walk towards him and in order to go over there. <laughs> uh, I really do like that. Uh, the childlike um, curiosity of, you know, even though, yeah, he is 50 years old, but compared to this species, he is a child. Um, and then I love this moment. Grogu and R2-D2 have this kind of moment, and even R2 rotates himself to turn uh, downwards a little more to look at uh, Grogu. And then Grogu kind of has, kind of coos and talks. And then R2 beeps and kind of shakes. And you really wonder if, you know, if R2 um, remembers him from the Jedi Temple days um, somehow. Uh, that That, I mean, maybe he's just, you know, maybe they're just kind of, communicate for the first time and like oh hey look at you oh oh you're shiny or oh you're you're small and green something like that or you know they could he could have remembered him from the jedi temple days that's wild to think about um but um or he could have remembered back to uh yoda's days and he's like oh no not another one of that species don't let him don't let him near me with a stick (laughs) but now he might have very well you know recognized him from the jedi temple days Either way, this um, that's behind the scenes little possibility. Um, either way, this scene is oh adorable, and um, yeah, it's uh, so cute. <laughs> there, yeah, like I said, the fact that um, the fact that that's what uh, drawn Grogu over towards um, Luke is R two. <laughs> And then Luke looks up at um, Dinjarin, gives him a nod as Dinjarin gives him a nod back. 
And then uh, Grogu comes to the point where he he looks up at Luke and then extends his hands, wanting him, you know, wanting him, telling him pretty much, okay, it's okay, I'm I'm willing to go now. Um, he picks him up, and then uh, as Luke's holding him, as he's about to leave, he uh, he looks at him for a second, and looks at Din, and then says, "May the Force be with you." And then uh, turns in a very and a over-the-shoulder shot of Luke walking away with um, Grogu um, looking back at Din. A uh, lovely moment um, as he's uh, saying goodbye for we don't really know how long. Um, and you can just see the tears kind of flow and the emotion that Din Djarin has, uh, has built up for this child and is feeling in this moment. Uh, and you see Luke turn in the elevator as they're in an R2 also with Grogu in hand. And then one last look at between Din Djarin and Grogu. Uh, as I'm sure we can only imagine the things Grogu's saying um, in this moment. And we see the, you know, the things that Din Djarin is going through. And they have this last look upon each other as as Dinjar and then kind of gives him one last little nod, like it'll be okay. Or, Oh, it's getting me again. And then the door shuts in the elevator and then the episode ends. Oh gosh. <laughs> oh, poor time. And it's still getting to me. Uh, but um, then it, yeah. And something different about the credits, you know, well, two things different. Well, three technical, but the music's a little different. We don't have concept art. And then there is a after credit scene. <laughs> um, so that it see, it almost felt like a series finale in a way, like with these different things at the end of the credits and the way it just tied that up. Um, but I, Oh God, got me emotional again. Um, see, there was three big emotional moments. I think when was the one was, and they, 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 bring tears but kind of for different reasons um in a little way um one was the whole situation with luke um and them teasing at it that it might be him and then he's just taking out these dark troopers as he progresses using the force all these um different uh ways of combat with the lightsaber and then the reveal of luke that was one whole big tear fest but that was joy and, and they were slowly teasing like is it him oh here's another clue oh it's him is it him as another clue you know that was one whole tear fest of joy and nostalgia and just oh couldn't believe they did this you know kind of feeling some um, then the second one was um the mo the 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 moments with um grogu and din uh as they're saying goodbye and then as he takes off his helmet, he you know he touches his helmet first and then and then, and then he takes off his helmet. Then he touches his face, and then he talks to him, telling him, "We, you know, we have to part ways, but you know, this is goodbye. Don't be afraid." And that was another tear fest. Oh my gosh, it still got to me here again, almost kind of. And then the other kind of tear fest, uh, but then when there's just kind of a mixture of nostalgia and kind of it was happy tears. And then we seen R two, and then um, seeing how um, R two and Grogu interacted and and that was pretty freaking adorable 
And the fact that we've seen R2-2 with Luke, it felt so right. Um, and the fact that, like I said, that was the 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 kicker, the deciding factor, what made Grogu leave uh, Din in order to pique his interest, the fact that R2 came along, and then he, the fact that uh, Grogu was then okay with finally uh, justifying leaving with Luke and leaving Din as they had that, but as Grogu and Din had that one last that one last glance at each other from the elevator and then him then from the bridge. It was um quite beautiful and uh, yeah. And then in the after credits scene, um we go to the twin sons, so we automatically know, oh, we're on Tatooine. Then we actually see Jabba's palace. Um it's pretty wild. And we see some Gamorrean guards all in armor. And then we see uh <laughs> Who do you know? It's Bib Fortuna. <laughs> and he's put on some weight, actually. And look at them long fingernails. My gosh. It reminds me of this this hairdresser lady that done my hair once. And um, she had the longest fingernails. And it was it felt weird in my hair. But anyway, um, you see a shot come up from the stairs. You see a shadow come down. And it's... um. Oh, excuse me. And it's Fennec Shan. She takes out all these guys around Bib Fortuna. Um, but then you see another Twi'lek um, who's uh, caged up just like from um, Jabba's days, who's on a on a chain. He's used there for entertainment, of course, or we've seen with Jabba. And then she actually goes to aim towards her, and she blasts the chain, and pretty much she signals for her you know, to skedaddle, get out of there. But then we see Boba walking the shadow of Boba walking down the stairs too. And only ones alive really left in here is Bib Fortuna. And, oh, excuse me. And then he's like, Oh, Boba, I thought you were dead. And excuse me. And then he goes on to say also that <laughs> I'm so glad to see you. And, you know, he's put on some weight and he's like, I've heard many rumors. Then Boba just pulls up, shoots him. Don't even care. And then he slumps over. Boba throws down his limp body and he sits up on that throne. So then it's setting up for Boba to be the king or the leader of the underworld with Finnick right by his side, sipping some spotchka. Oh my, the things this sets up. The Book of Boba Fett coming December 2021. Whew. Oh man, this episode, I'm. I'm telling you, this is some of the best Star Wars, if not the best Star Wars, sent to Revenge of the Sith. Um, all around, overall, in every way, this felt like Star Wars. Um, I can't explain the joy that I felt during this episode, and I know so many fans will agree with me. Um, you know, going back to the original trilogy, this is... This is Luke at his full, like, potential, his power, his his understanding of the Force as he's searching the galaxy for things about the Force, Jedi, Sith, um, artifacts. Um, yeah, he's, and we, they fully expressed that in this episode. Um, the way they did it, keeping him cloaked, keeping him hooded, in order 
all to lead up to that reveal right when he gets to the bridge and greet uh, and uh, reveals it to be Luke. And all, like I said, all the little hints they gave along the way. First, the X-Wing. Then he's in the hooded figure, dark hood. And then he uh, has a lightsaber. So it's a Jedi. And then it's the green lightsaber. So that narrows it down even more. And then you see the glove on the right hand, which indicates, you know, that he is worn. So indicates, and then you get the final reveal at the, on the bridge. And it's masterful how they did that. And alternating between the shots from the cameras in the bridge, alternating from those camera shots from the bridge to also going to like in-person shots of him taking out these dart troopers was amazing. Um, reminded me of, um, in a very different way though, because when you've seen, um, from the separatist ship, when Anakin is coming to, uh, take them out you've seen him on the the hologram making his way through the ship here and there. And also like when we've seen when they were looking back and seeing uh, Anakin on the hologram of the Jedi temple, but very differently uh, used than in this episode. And once he gets to that last hallway, that builds up that, that tension that's uh, everything, the height from that elevator as it's arriving. And it's so similar to um, the scene with his father, Darth Vader, um, in Rogue One, um, that hallway scene, I'm telling you these hallway scenes in Star Wars and then, cause we've had a Darth Vader, I mean, Darth Maul hallway scene too. And then this is so similar to his father's Darth Vader scene, except, you know, there's Darth Vader is being so lethal, but so is Luke, but Darth Vader is, is taking out humans, taking out human life that have, you know, they have families, they families, friends, um, and he's taking them out, uh, in the most like menacing way, Luke is taking out robots, droids. So they, you know, there's no, it's not as menacing. It's, it's coming from a different place. Um, but he's still using lethal force to take these out. That's a big difference in those, those scenes. The fact that Vader's taking out, you know, human lives, uh, and not even caring, um, in order to get the, try to get those plans. And then Luke is doing this to, get to Grogu, but also he's saving all of them in the process um, that are in the bridge. Um, and like I said, it's droids too. It's not human life. It's not, it can't think or do all these things. It doesn't have families, friends, and it's coming from a very different place being at where he's at, uh, being a, a mass Jedi master at this point. Um, but I look, I've watched a video side by side. They showed, the Darth Vader hallway scene in Rogue One, and then this Luke Skywalker scene, hallway scene from the Mandalorian side by side. It's, it's, you know, even, and even like the last shot before they get to where they're going, um, like Vader uses the force and then pushes the guy up on the ceiling and holds him there. And then Luke uses the force and crushes, force crushes the, the dark, freezes him, then force crushes the dark trooper. Um, yeah, the, it very, you know, like it, it, this poetry, it rhymes, you know, I mean, we've heard George Lucas talk about this, but it's so, so fitting in that scene. And then, you know, the reveal and then the reveal in R2, that whole sequence. And then that goodbye with Din and Grogu. It was just, I was overcome with emotions, but um, I was surprised nobody died though. Um, Obviously they're obviously setting up a lot of different things with 
you know, now going forward. But how does this show operate without Grogu? I'm, um, I mean, marketing wise, like merchandise, you know, Grogu has maybe Yoda's made them so much money. Um, but there's shows they're willing to take risks because that is a risk because people have known him since the very first episode of this show. And we've had that connection between Grogu and uh, Din Djarin from the very first episode We that they met at the very first end of the episode. So what does it look like without Baby Yoda in the picture? Um, that is very interesting. And I hope we see him maybe um, maybe pop back, pop back up in maybe episode five or six or seven, maybe of next season somehow either Din Djarin crosses paths or has to get help from Luke with something and then therefore Grogu and Din are reunited in the process or somehow they cross paths again um, in next season. I don't think it'll be like right away, but it may be episode five, six or seven and we'll, he'll come back into the picture. Hopefully I'm hoping because I, I'm like, well, yeah, how are they going to do this? But I mean, they have storylines to go on because now we're going to be dealing with Din Djarin um, and the Bo-Katan kind of storyline with, you know, Din Djarin bested um, Moff Gideon in combat. So he is now rightfully kind of the ruler of Mandalore, but he doesn't want it. You know, it's, he tried to give it to Bo-Katan, but she won't take it because it's not authentic. It wasn't, it didn't happen the right way for her to feel right and for her to authentically own the Darksaber and be the rightful ruler of Mandalore like she feels um, she should be. So there's that predicament. And I think we're going to see, you know, the possibility of them trying to take back Mandalore and then possibly Mandalorian Civil War. Um, you know, what's going to happen between her and Din And that whole dynamic is, is going to, there's going to be a lot of tension there uh, going forward. But now, you know, you see, um, since you see Fennec Shan later meet up with Boba Fett, whether he came by and swung her, picked her back up, or she left on a ship or something. Because you know, because Bo, uh, Bo-Katan said, you know, now after this, we'll keep this ship once we take the ship and and use it in our, in our effort to re uh, reclaim Mandalore. So Den's kind of stuck there probably with her on that ship. Well, now he, he holds the... Uh, right to the dark saber and that's yeah like i said that's going to be interesting um going forward but uh you know i was talking about how boba was you know he wasn't in much of the episode and you know he dropped him off and took off those guys and took out of there but then because of that in credit scene we kind of see why so obviously they're setting up a lot more with him whether it be in mando season three or his own show i'm hoping it's his own show because i don't want to take away from din Djarin uh and what he is in his storylines too much um like i said and there's the possibility that grogu will come back into the picture some point at season three i'm really hoping so but for a little bit i think it's going to deal with you know him and bo and these other mandalorians and mandalore itself and what what the situation is going to be going forward there um between that kind of internal conflict that um uh, feels now against dinjarin and against the different sects of Mandalorian, how that's going to progress uh, progress in the next season. I think that's going to be more of a focal point, like Mandalore and the different factions of Mandalore and their beliefs and how it's all going to come together and conflict with one another, probably. But um, but it's also a good thing that Boba probably wasn't there. They planned this 
because that would have been real awkward if Luke is there and then he sees Boba Fett. <laughs> um, so I think that was probably something that worked out. Uh, they play plan to work out because that would have been a conflict right there. <laughs> conflict waiting to happen. So that was a good way to um, avoid that situation right now, at least. Maybe later they will cross paths, but um, at least for now, that, that avoided a, a possible uh, awkward meeting and probable fight. Um, so yeah, Fennec Shand teamed back up with Boba. So we're going to see how he is going to be the probably king of the underworld, you know, because um, Jabba, what he wants was except he's a little skinnier and he can fight a little better. <laughs> but I'm wondering, you know, did Bib Fortuna, did he like eat Jabba? Because he gained on a lot of weight. I mean, I'm not, I'm just saying he, he wasn't quite as big as Jabba, but I'm like, man, what happened in these five years, five, six years, man? Dang. <laughs> Let it get to him just sitting on the throne. That's probably all what he did. But, but yeah, but now uh, Boba and Fennec Shan are going to be running or overseeing the underworld. And that's going to be fascinating because, you know, after Boba, you know, Boba and Fennec uh, accomplished their task, you know, they get back the child and then, you know, now the child's with Luke. But, you know, so now they're doing their own thing. So whether that's, I'm hoping that's his own show kind of, but it's going to be airing right around when they said Mando season three would be, uh, which is interesting. The fact that they could have two shows going on right near each other or at the same time or something is that's wild because they, they probably would probably be having to do with each other, but intersecting possibly or whatnot. I don't know yet. It's really interesting to think about that. And I hope, hope it doesn't season three doesn't just shift just to Boba's story. Um, even though I love Boba Fett, I think you'd be better off to tell both of them and then have them existing around the same time and kind of weaving weaving into each other kind of here and there. Um, and obviously later probably being an issue for Din Djarin or Bo-Katan or certain areas of the galaxy in general. Um, so yeah, I hope it's his own show. Um, and then Mando too, because if they're both going on at the same time, that's going to be a ton of content. And we're just... We're now we're getting spoiled. Like all these Star Wars shows, and with what we got with Mando season two, it's just been amazing. And for end for it to end this way with Luke Skywalker R two D two, you know Grogu going with Luke. Um, consider what we got this season. You know Cobb Banth, um, character from the books, uh, coming out in the first episode. Them fighting a crate dragon. Um, Bo-Katan coming into picture and her night owls. Um. Then Ahsoka, the Ahsoka episode setting up that that whole show on its on itself and her search for Thrawn and Ezra. Uh, we'll you know we'll probably see Sabine and Rex probably in that too, and then um, Boba the return of Boba Fett and her him bringing Fennec Shand back to life, and them hinting at Boba Fett actually from Chapter Five in the first season. Now that we know that was who walked up on her at the end of the episode when we seen the boots. And then the fact that this is last episode, we got Luke Skywalker and R2-D2. And now Grogu's going off with this legendary original trilogy character at his, like at his highest level of uh, mastery over the force um, at this point. And he is just, uh, during this time, he is in such a, such a high point as far as knowledge of the force and still gaining that knowledge and understanding and just his finesse that he 
um, that he exerted in that fight. It was like those uh, dark troopers were nothing between his skills with the lightsaber and his use of the force was just, he was just, he looks like he handled him with ease. Um, so it's interesting to see if they're going to explore more of Luke during this period. Um, I mean, the fact that they did it with de aging, like CGI, I'm wondering how they'll address that forward. I mean, because they might use it sparingly because maybe we'll just check in on Grogu and Luke here and there, maybe, but I have a feeling they might make us wait a little bit. Um, I don't know. That'll be interesting because, you know, he's going to be, I don't think he's, some people mentioned, oh no, Grogu went with, you know, Luke, hopefully Ben, Ben doesn't take Grogu out when Ben turns, you know, and destroys the Jedi temple and stuff that, uh, an academy that Luke was building. I don't think, I think they said, I think if I'm right, it's 15, 20 years like later after this, that that happens. Um, around that I'm thinking maybe a little longer. I have to check, check my math again, but, um, I don't, I don't see Grogu staying with Luke that long. I mean, if we remember Luke, Grogu has already been trained by masters. He's just kind of lost some of this due to the fact of his memory kind of being dark for a little while and being clouded and him kind of cutting off that connection with the force to an extent, like him not using it in order to stay safe and stay hidden, um, from certain ones. So, um, I don't think he'd need as much training, you know, as some, because he already, it's kind of maybe just unlocking some of that again, uh, remembering to an extent because he was once trained by, you know, numerous masters. So he, he was once there. It's a matter of just getting him back there. So I don't think it would take him as long as some other ones that are starting necessarily almost from scratch. Um, so I don't see him, I, he's going to. And I think him and Dan, Dan uh, Jaren will meet again. I really hope so. And he says it. Um, so I hope that's foreshadowing of soon, you know, sometime, maybe in season, hopefully in season three to to have them reunited. For how long after that? I'm not sure. Once they reunite, if it's just like over a little period of time or just for good or what, I don't know. But I really hope they they reunite Grogu and Dan this because if not, I mean, it's such a suitable ending. I mean, it, like I said, it feels like a series finale in a way but it's oh come on don't do that to us you oh but yeah it'll be interesting to see when they bring grogu back in with luke um into the mandalorian um i hope season three really i really do um and moff gideon you know he was very menacing in this very uh playing with just messing with their emotions uh different characters and like i said gene carlos Bazito, um phenomenal actor um the choreography of that fight between moff gideon and uh din Djarin was fantastic and then obviously the, the the whole scene leading with luke and then let me bring out the music too um of that scene with luke i loved it um it was so it was a mixture of you know that mystery with a little bit of suspense but yet that hopeful feeling that the character of luke should bring what we didn't really see in last Jedi. I mean, I like, I like some of the sequels, but I did not like how they treated Luke. Um, and this is what a lot of fans have been waiting for. As far as seeing him during this time period, it was, it meant so much to so many. I'm, I'm sure of it. Um, even if it was just for this scene, I mean, we don't know if we'll see it going forward or not, but just for this, 
just the way they executed this in this episode was, I mean, Dave Filoni, John Favreau, let's let's hand you the keys to this because they are just, and the way they pulled at our heartstrings with Luke and then Grogu and Din leaving and then R2 and it's just, oh man, they know how to, they know how to hit you. And they, they built up this relationship with Grogu and Din Djarin appropriately. So we felt the weight of that situation uh, with Din. And through this show, we felt the weight of that of their connection and them parting ways because we watched episode or season one and two. And then if you watch the original trilogy, I mean, you don't really have to watch the sequels to necessarily feel the weight of this all the way. But if you watch the, you've been a fan since the original trilogy, you felt the weight of Luke's arrival and the the nostalgia and the 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 power that that scene has for all you know. So many people that looked up to Luke as their hero and different things when they were growing up and and started with this original trilogy. Um, I mean, I wasn't alive for it, but. <laughs> Um, but the fact that that, um, carried over so many years later and now they, they show this hopeful, um, heroic character that we've all, all grown to love, um, for so many years and expanding on this and showing what he would be like during this time period is just, um, and inter having to intersect with this story and it all seamlessly, I mean, it makes sense. It's not just like forced in there um these characters they brought in Bo-Katan you know Cobb Vanth Ahsoka uh Boba Fett Luke they've made sense it's not they're not being forced um um in there just for um just for um I can't think of the word um everybody's been saying oh anyway it's not forced um fan uh, pleasure and that's not the right word but <laughs> um yeah it's not forced it it flowed seamlessly made sense so this meant so much to the people necessarily that are new you know with with the weight of that situation with Dinjarn and Grogu and then the weight of Luke coming back at that level of skill where he is as a Jedi now even more powerful than where we've seen him in Return of the Jedi with his combat and his force uh, abilities and knowledge. It was truly inspiring and uh, uplifting and amazing to see that how they brought that to life uh, in this situation. Um, I mean, and considering what kind of year this is, Mandalorian, this whole season, and then has been such a bright spot, I'm sure, for so many. Um, you know, a lot of other things got delayed, but luckily they finished this, or at least the filming part and stuff to where, I think they said it was three days before the pandemic kind of shut down things early on in the year. And they were they were able to do, you know, uh, different things with special effects, uh, post-production and uh, music and stuff uh, after that. Um, but the fact that they got all that done for us and then we're still able to deliver all that um, in time when a lot of the things, as far as it's been releasing in theaters or as far as filming has, uh, you know, got delayed because of different things with COVID and whatnot. The fact that this got finished and they did all this um, 
in time and it and it all came together like this was just it's um it's meant so much i know to so many people and mandalorian's really changed the game i mean season one was a more isolated story kind of but then and they're bringing in so many characters that mean so much to so many people um Cobb Vanth coming from a book Ahsoka and Bo-Katan coming from all the stories uh that they've built up from Clone Wars and Rebels series animated series and then Luke from the original trilogy and R2 um so they're pulling it on all the heartstrings from di- so many different facets of Star Wars it is truly amazing how they weave it all together with this story that originated with this Mandalorian whose bounty hunter just uh, moseying through the galaxy trying to get his next job just going been raised by children of the watch um, has this a weird um, things about him where they can't take off their helmets being one of them and for different reasons finds this innocent little being in this pod supposed to kill him but doesn't takes him back to the empire but then rescues him and then has such a strong connection with him to therefore protect him from then on and continue to build this wonderful relationship with him and dynamic um all for our all for our pleasure and it through this first and second season it's built such a so inspirational um so such a hopeful story between them two and the way they ended it right there i mean and we know hopefully it's not the very the very end for grogu and din um stories as far as intersecting um like i said hopefully in season three but the way they told that story along with bringing in all this stuff from different mediums the books the animated series and now the original trilogy these characters that mean so much to different people from different um facets of the star wars universe is truly amazing how they all made it and it wasn't forced um and i really can't wait till next season um like i said season three will be this i think it said christmas of next year so it's a little later than the fall but then the fact that we hopefully the book buffet show is a separate show intersecting and intertwining with this and then we'll have bad batch earlier probably first half of next year so if you know us star wars fans we're they i think they've really figured out what's what's working and they're rolling with it and um i'm sure us as fans so many people are just floored by what they did you know it seemed logical you know for loot to come in I mean, there was, there was always possibility of, you know, Ezra, Cal Kestis, even though with Cal, with Cal, they, you know, they're going to do a Fallen Order, Jedi Fallen Order 2 game. So maybe they didn't want to give away his fate just yet, you know, with that. And then Ezra, you know, that whole side story with Ahsoka now going to search for him and Thrawn. So they didn't want to tell that right here. Um, but that don't mean those Jedi and other characters from other mediums aren't going to intersect with this again. Cause I'm sure they will. I mean, the possibilities are endless and they've really stepped up the game and, and you don't know what do you question what's possible because after this season, what isn't possible the way they've, I mean, it wasn't, these characters wasn't shoehorned in there. It flowed in there seamlessly to the story and it didn't 
and it wasn't to the story's detriment. It only built on the story, the world building, everything in this Star Wars universe that we love and that's that spawned from this show and the other mediums. Uh, and it's connecting to this so well. And I'm just over the moon about it. Um, I guess had so many emotions in this last this episode of the season. Now we have to wait. I'm sad, but then we got, like I said, Bad Batch first half of next year, and then Mando, hopefully season three, and the Boba Fett show next December. Wow, we're just in for it. Um, apparently what I've heard, too, we're going to get some, they, they've got some Star Wars games in the pipeline uh, that we should be waiting for, too. So that'll be, because Jedi Fallen Order had so much success, and we know we're getting a second one to that, along with I've heard other things. So strap in for that, too. And then we have, you know, the High Republic uh, era starting next month. Um, and I don't know. I'm still learning as far as, which I don't mind admitting. I'm not, I don't know all the lore and certain things, but I'm, I love learning it with some of you. And, um, cause then it's a fresh, um, how you say a fresh, a fresh take on it or, you know, a new, newly learned experience, whether it's diff, you know, of all these different facets of this Star Wars universe and, uh, expressing my joy or uh, thoughts on different facets of it as I do. Um, Cause I'm div- diving a lot more into different books, trying to comics and different things too. I'm trying to, I've loved star Wars for years, but I'm really starting to be even more inspired um, here the past few years. And um, I'm really diving into it. Maybe what that's made me um, finally, you know, start this podcast and do different things involving star Wars with YouTube and I don't know, sweet Star Wars delight just kind of hit me. Because to me, it is like a, you know, you know, if you love sweet stuff, you know, that's such a treat. And then, you know, all these Mandalorian episodes are, are such a treat to me. Like, it's it's some of the sweetest things we can experience as a Star Wars fan that's happened this season. And I eventually got the, uh, the gumption to start a podcast and start doing stuff with YouTube with this. And, uh. Uh, it's a little learning process, but I love talking about it. People said, Oh, you have a nice radio voice. And I've heard that's my most complimented thing, my voice, but, um, my, it's only spurred and sparked my creator creativity, um, towards my own stuff too. As far as my writing, I, I like, I love to write. I'm working on, uh, some, this, these, uh, this book series idea right now, and I'm planning that process. And these, these truly inspire and ignite so many different thoughts and ideas um uh for me personally i know it probably does for so many people but um it's truly been a a uncomparable joy this uh mandalorian and mandalorian season two especially even more and i'm so uh excited and inspired for what this is opening up and all the things to come for this uh for this Star Wars universe, as far as where they're taking it, it's uh couldn't be happier. Um, but that'll pretty much sum it up. Um, I've talked for a little while. I had to talk a little longer about this because it was uh so amazing, uh, phenomenal. I could go on, and I know many people could. Um, we tried to just tie it up with a bow, but uh, thank you, John Favreau, Dave Filoni, Lucasfilm. Disney, um, 
all that were involved in this finale in this season and then are involved in what we have to come um all the different stories we have um to come in this wonderful star wars uniform universe uh thank you so much and uh here soon now that mandalorian's over i'm just gonna I might have uh, some more different thorough conversations about this and different uh, theories and whatnot and also break down different other facets that i find interesting or that i discover about uh the star wars universe um that i'd like to talk about um with all of you so uh stay tuned if you like this and uh Hope you have a fantastic day, because this is the way.